Part two, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Part two, don't drink the Kool-Aid. We all know, we, we talked about it last week, and if you weren't here last week, uh, you all remember the deal with, with Jim Jones, how that 900 people drank the Kool-Aid in, in Guyana, and that, that they just, he deceived them. And if we're not careful, we can buy into deception. Uh, several years back, my dad, he loved to raise paint horses and paint uh, back then they had to have color like brown and white, black and white, red and white. They had to have some white on the, on their bodies before they could register them. So every time when that mare would get ready to give birth to the colt, he would always say, man, I hope it's a paint. I hope it's a paint. I hope it's got color on it. We had one of his mares at our place down there when we lived in Waller, and uh, his mare, his, it was his mare, and we were feeding her, and she had a colt, and he was coming down to see her, but the colt was not a paint. It was just a straight brown colt. So Darla goes out there, and she gets white shoe polish. <laughs> and she puts white shoe polish on, on the back of this colt, and, and dad walks up and he, he looks, oh, and he gets all excited, you know, from a distance. Y'all with me? From a distance, it looks good. But the closer he got, the more he puzzled look he got on his face. And, uh, but he just drank the Kool-Aid for a minute. Because once he got there, he figured, he, he saw that there had been somebody dabbling with shoe polish. And he pretty much knew who that was. <laughs> Deception is, is a crazy thing, isn't it? Have you ever got duped into something? I, I could tell you some stories this morning, but I'm too embarrassed. To be honest with you, it's like... You ever get embarrassed because you did something really stupid, bought something on Craigslist or something? I don't know. So last week, we talked about the influence of Jesus, how he influenced the ancient world. And, and he, just, he just turned everything upside down in the ancient world. They didn't, listen, they didn't know what to do with Jesus. It was like, who is this man? I don't. And then, the, I mean, he, he, he just, he loved people that nobody else loved. He cared for people. There's an old song that says, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take my sin and sorrow from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. That's what they saw, and they didn't know what to do with Jesus because nobody loved people like Jesus loved people. People were and are God's greatest treasure. You are God's treasure. God is not impressed with the things that impresses us. Like our bank account or our power, the power we have or the influence. we God is impressed by your heart. By your heart. 
Make no mistake. Contrast back in the day, the Roman government, if you've studied history at all, you'll know that the Roman government was very, very controlling of people, even to the point of crucifixion for people who would get out of line. And, and I was thankful last week when we were driving into town and I told Dara, we all talk about how bad it is in America. But I have yet to see anybody get crucified yet. You with me? It's not as bad. I just want to put a little hope in you. This is still the best boat floating. There's a lot of boats out there. I think the United States of America still is the best boat floating. We can badmouth it if we want, but I, I think I'm just going to dance with the one that brought me. Yeah, it's got its problems, but I believe that what God has blessed, and the reason that God has blessed America is because of God's people. By the way, I want to welcome all of the people watching online that are sitting in your deer stands right now. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Dara's here, but only physically. In spirit, she wants to be in the deer stand. I do expect backstrap, though. 10%. <laughs> but the Roman government, they were very controlling, and, and Jesus came on, and he loved people into motion. Does that make sense to you? Where the government tried to control people into motion, Jesus loved people into motion. <laughs> we have a lot of controversial things in our world today. Darla talked a little bit about it. Let me tell you, I believe that we need to be in control, but not controlling. I need to understand where my authority starts and stops and where God's authority, if I give my authority to, to God, then he can run my show. But too many times the sin nature in us wants to be controlling of other people. We need to love people whether they get the shot or not. You got to love them anyway, no matter what. You know, we have a lot of things that we get controlling if we're, not, if we're not careful. And this is part of my sermon, whether we like it or not. We get controlling. We say, man, you, you need to get the shot. Or we get over here and say, man, I ain't taking a shot. And here's the deal. Where we have no authority, we should have no opinion. You don't have authority over your neighbor. Now, the government's trying to take authority. I get that. That's what the Roman government tried to do. But what I'm saying is, is our job is to love people no matter what. I don't want to get into anybody else's business. I got enough business of my own to take care of. That's why we need Jesus so bad. So last... <laughs> Last week we talked, you, you, Dora's right, you'll never get this stuff at another church, a foo-foo church. They don't talk about these things. It's like, oh, don't talk about that. 
I'm like, what I got? How many knows Jesus has a plan for everything? He's got a will for everything. All we need to know is what Jesus wants us to know and to do what he's called us to do. So last week we talked about the influence that Jesus had over the value of children. My goodness. And it's really true with the Convoy of Hope. Thank you all for for giving to Convoy one day to feed the world $55,000 and still counting. It's just an amazing gift to Convoy of Hope that we value and to God that we value his creation. Amen. So the children, the value of children, the value of education, we talked about that last week. We talked about the compassion that Jesus has. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Today, today, I want to move on with the last three ways of influence that we can talk about, about how Jesus influenced the world. And I'm going to do my best to get through this. Number four is the influence of humility. The influence of humility, the ancient world honored many virtues like courage and wisdom. They honored the elite, but not humility. They didn't appreciate a humble person. People were generally divided into first class and coach. You see, uh, Plutarch, he made this statement. He said the, the rank, rank must be preserved. (laughs) He also wrote a self-help book that would probably crack the best-seller list today. The book that he wrote was How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively. (laughs) Some of us don't even need a book for that. One of my, uh, I absolutely appreciated Martin Luther King and everything that he did for our culture and for bringing value and humility back into our nation when there was a certain sect of people that was not honored the way they needed to be honored. Martin Luther King stood up. And I'm grateful for Martin Luther King. So in a, in a passage from on being a real person that he, he wrote, uh, he said they live a life of, per, per, he, he's, talking about, he's talking about narcissistic, egocentric people. I'm sure you don't know anybody like that, and I'm sure none of them are here today. But there's different levels. Y'all stay with me. There's different levels of egocentric people. We all have to fight being prideful. I'm waiting for a big old amen out of that. I know it just kind of goes against the grain to say amen to that because you're afraid somebody's going to look at you and think you got a problem. And the truth is we all have that problem. So it's something we all have to fight. And we have different levels of narcissism inside of us, different levels of egos inside of us. By the way, somebody said one time that ego, the definition of ego is E-G-O, and it stands for easing God out. (laughs) Here's what Martin Luther King said about them. said they live their life of perpetual egotism, and they are the victims. <laughs> yeah, you got to love this. The victims all around 
any egocentric predicament. They start out the minute you talk with them, talking about what they can do, what they have done. They're the people who will tell you before you talk with them five minutes where they have been and who they know. They're the people who can tell you in a few seconds how many degrees they have and where they went to school and how much money they have. Well, I, I graduated with 103 degrees myself. I had a fever. <laughs> anyway, back to this. I'm sorry. He said, we meet these people every day, and so this is not a foreign subject. It is not something far off. It is a problem that meets us in everyday life. We meet it in ourselves. We meet it in other selves, the problem of self-centeredness. Now, we can say to a certain extent that person in this situation are persons who have really never grown up. Y'all stay with me. They're... They are still children at a point. For you see, a child is inevitably, necessarily egocentric. He is a bundle of his own sensations clamoring to be cared for and to be sure he has his own social context. He belongs to his mother, but he cares for her only. Because he wants to be fed and protected. And I added, and have his diaper changed. <laughs> so here it is. He does not care for his mother for her, for her sake, but he cares for his mother for his own sake. <laughs> I'll just let that marinate a minute. An infant is necessarily egocentric. An infant is necessarily egocentric. He's a bundle of his own sensations clamoring to be taken care of, to be sure he has vital social relationships. He belongs to his mother, but all he wants her for is food and protection. He does not care for her, nor try to understand her for her sake. The baby, it's not about the mother. It's about what the baby can get from the mother. He wants her and later everyone else within his reach solely for his own sake. Self-centeredness is the inevitable attitude of early childhood. From one point of view, this may be regarded as failure to grow up. Some never leave this stage. It's interesting the different movements that have happened over the past few decades that have, have taken a hold of our nation. And you can always find, excuse me, you can't always find good in it, but there's good in some of those but there's a lot of egos involved in almost every movement that has become popular. It's, it becomes more about me than anybody else. Case in point, movements. LGBTQ, 
I can't keep track of all the initials you're supposed to do with these, but that's part of it. It's all about me and what I want. My sexuality. Climate change. Abortion regulations. Abortion rights. The Me Too movement. The Black Lives Matter movement. No doubt, some good, a lot of, in almost every one of these. No, I would say every one of them, you got some Kool-Aid drinkers. <laughs> some Kool-Aid drinking going on. And if we're not careful, we can buy it. Now, listen, I'm just using these as an example. And if this offends anybody and you're like, man, I'm just looking for a time when I can get up and leave. It's a great time for you to practice forgiveness because that's my next point about Jesus. Jesus always was forgiving. Many look for offenses, but Jesus looked for ways to forgive. Egocentric people write songs like, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day to love me. It's to, what I forget. I must be one beep of a man. I don't, can't say that in church. <laughs> oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. In talking about Jesus and his own humility, historian John Dickerson writes, it is unlikely that any of us would aspire to this virtue were it not for the historical impact of his crucifixion. Our culture remains cruciform long after it stopped being Christian. In other words, having the shape of the cross or having a tattoo of a cross or having a necklace, cross necklace. It's about the popularity. This is interesting about the influence and the impact of the cross. People who are not even Christians still want to have that cross displayed on them. It's, it's crazy. It's cool, I think. So let's take a closer look at the heart of Jesus. John chapter 13, if you have your Bibles. It was just before Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Y'all, yeah, this is big stuff. Look at that. Leave that up, please, on the screen. Oop, leave it up. Having loved his own, y'all stay with me. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to, how long did he love them? Yes. See, anybody can start loving somebody. Make start loving a husband or loving a wife or you can start loving your kids or you kids, you can start loving your mom. Soon, sooner or later, you might get a little bit disillusioned by that love. But Jesus, to the end, he didn't say, if they love me, I'll love them back. It wasn't a conditional love. He loved us in that while we were, y'all stay with me, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly people. He's like, he's like the godly people are the people that don't need me right now. I need to go to those, the sheep who are lost, the sheep without a shepherd, the ones who don't know me as their personal self, the ones who are lost and dying without me spiritually, without any future hope 
for heaven. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I came for you because I love you no matter how you treat me, whether you have a cross on you or you have a, whatever you got tattooed on you. It doesn't matter. I came for you. I loved uh, in the middle of church today. I was looking up here and there's a lady. She has a, she has a tattoo on this arm, but she's got both arms raised to Jesus. And she, her heart is all about Jesus. And I just like, that's the person Jesus came to live and die for. That's why we have church. That's why we have church. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas. (laughs) Did you ever get prompted by the devil? (laughs) We always have a choice in the prompting, right? Whether to hear him, reject him. He was prompted by Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, listen to this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things. Everybody say all things. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, and, and he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later on you will understand. Anybody ever have something to go on in your life and you couldn't figure it out? And then about a month or two later you go, oh, thank God for unanswered prayers. You ever date somebody you're sure glad you didn't wind up marrying them? Jesus knew that the resurrection was coming. Peter didn't get it yet. But he said, you don't know what's going on now, but there's going to come a time you're going to get the picture. And that was when the Holy Spirit came on Peter in the upper room and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and and God gave him the power to preach to thousands of people. The same Peter that denied him the Holy Spirit when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was a changed man. He said, Peter, you don't get it right now. Stay right there. Stay right there. And he said, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Peter, verse 8, no, said Peter. I'm going to marinate that for a minute. You ever say no to God? Nope. Nope. Not me. You go find somebody else. Nope. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Y'all come on with me now. Unless I wash you, Jesus said, you can't have no part with me. So here's what Peter said. Y'all going to love this. Then 
Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You've probably never had it read to you like that before. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone is clean. And when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? This is important. He asked them, you call me teacher. You call me Lord, he said. Rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. What I loved about this and the revelation that I got about this this past week was that I've I got to confess to you, I've been to a lot of people take that, that word literally as I have done to you, you should, in other words, you should wash people's feet, literally. And so I've been to some preaching things where they had a foot washing. And I just got to confess to you, I hope none of them are watching this morning, <laughs> but I got to confess to you, that makes me uncomfortable. Do <laughs> you know Why? Because I took a shower that morning. My feet don't need washing. So here's Jesus. You got to love this about Jesus. You got to love it. He's like he walks into the room. Back in the day, you know, they wore sandals. Their, their, feet, was, their feet was dirty. And, and, and they would recline at the table. And their feet was sticking up a little bit. And it's like... The, the servants and the slaves was, would wash the feet. And Jesus, he's here at, the, at the, the, the Last Supper. You want things to be right, right? And he looks around. Nobody's washing the feet. Our Jesus, our Jesus, he didn't say, hey, John. You go over there and get them feet washed. Peter, you go help him. James, you know better than that. <laughs> they needed, listen to me, they didn't need their whole body wars. They just needed their feet wars. You talk about a practical savior. You talk about, and, and so we're like, we're like, oh, we got to wash people's feet. That's not the message. I don't think that's, the, I don't think that's the message. We go around wash people's feet. I think the message is, is to find a need and fill it and to find a hurt and heal it. Find something. And, and let's get a little bit more practical in the kingdom of God. If there's, and that's the reason we, we give up. We call it serving opportunities. We just, we just love those two words. For you, because we can find a need and we can fill that need with serving opportunities. And uh, we don't need anybody around here to go around washing feet. Sometimes we need to 
clean off the parking lot from the poop from the horses from the rope and the day before. So our parking lot crew goes out there and they clean up the, or the arena crew goes out and cleans that up. They find things to do. They find a need and they feel that need. It wasn't about washing feet at all. It was about serving. He says, this example I have set for you, not that I told somebody else to do it, but he said, you do it because this is an example for all of us to serve the most high God. If you see something that needs to be done, there's a piece of trash laying out there on the grass. Don't find somebody in maintenance to pick up the trash. You go pick up that trash and put it in the trash can. If you think I'm passionate about that, you're right. You are right. Verse 16, for truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, I will be blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. You know, before they were ever doing any of this foot washing, people, foot washing deal, the disciples were arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who, uh, Jesus, uh, when you get into your kingdom, can I sit by you? You know I'm, I'm the best disciple. I'm not going to comment on all that. I just hope some of it sinks in. Move on, gracious Lord. I'm going to run through this, so fasten your seatbelt. The fifth one is the influence of forgiveness. It's just as important as the rest of them. In the ancient world, virtue meant rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. Genghis Khan, in his famous answer to the question, what is, what is best in life? He said, to crush your enemies and see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of their women. That was the ancient world. Then our beautiful liberal movie makers makes a movie by Conan the Barbarian. He says the same thing Genghis Khan says. And we're like, Oh, that's so great. No, it's not. <laughs> so the, an alternative idea came from Galilee. What is best in life is to love your enemies and see them reconciled to you. That was the Jesus that we serve. It wasn't to see them beat up and killed. Matthew 6, 12, he says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. It is so important to God for us to be forgiving that he said we won't be forgiven until we forgive. You must sow seeds of forgiveness before you will reap the seeds of forgiveness. If there's bitterness and strife in your life and you entertain that or when I entertain that, I am taking myself out away from the blessings of God. Matthew 6, 15, but if you do not forgive their sins, your father will not forgive you. Number six, the influence of humanitarian reform. This was Jesus. 
Jesus had a way of championing the excluded that was often downright irritating to those in power. He ticked a lot of people off. So we have a great team of people in place to jump in and serve in times of crisis to help with particular needs in the community. Humble, forgiving people are always equipped best to serve the needs of community. Humble, forgiving people are always equipped best. Why? Because they've gotten out of that egocentric, it's all about me. And when, when it's all about me, we, we're not really interested in serving other people in any way, shape, or form. And if we're not careful, we become egotistical about, about that. Jesus championed the least among them. His inclusion of women led to a community to which women flocked, flocked in disproportionate numbers whenever Jesus was around. Slaves up to a third of the ancient population. A third of the people in the ancient population were slaves. And uh, uh, they might wander into a church fellowship and have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them. Can you imagine being a slave, going to church, and having a slave owner wash your feet instead of beating you? They're used to getting beat from their owners. This was the Jesus, and this is how Jesus shook up this ancient world. The ancient text instructs bishops not to interrupt worship, to greet a wealthy attender, but to sit on the floor to welcome the poor. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.28, listen to this. Now there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, but all, everybody say all. All are one in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. Thomas Cahill wrote that this, uh, this verse was the first statement of egalitarianism in human nature, in other words, equal value for all. Please listen to this. Perhaps as remarkable as anything else is Jesus' ability to withstand the failings of his follow- followers. His ability to withstand the failings of his followers. It, I hope somebody's listened to me. We got anybody that's failed out there. Yeah. <laughs> His ability to withstand the failing of his followers who from the beginning probably got in his way at least as much as they helped. I got a friend up in Colorado. He's got a little girl, a little little granddaughter. He says he takes her to feed the horses. He said she'll, she'll get a little bit of hay and he's teaching her how to feed them horses. He says it takes a lot longer to get the horses fed because she has, she knows their, all their names and everything. And she has to give them and go back. Oh no, we give, he said, and he's told me, he said, but he says, he's teaching that little girl how to value what they have. And whenever she gets older, it'll just come natural to her. He says, it takes a lot longer now, but there'll be a lot of rewards for the time that I got to spend with her when we were feeding horses. Some parents and grandparents, it's good for us to know that things don't always have to go our way, but we're there actually to serve. So, uh, 
the number of groups claiming to be for Jesus today. It's just crazy. It's just amazing. The groups for Jesus, they're inexhaustible. To name a few, Jews for Jesus, Muslims for Jesus, ex-Masons for Jesus, Muslims for Jesus, road riders for Jesus, motorcycle people, cowboys for Jesus, and even atheists for Jesus. You got to love that. Meanwhile, the unpredictable influence of an unelected homeless carpenter continues to endure and spread across the world. Why? Because he was and still is God. Got a friend of mine, his name, he, he's, he's preached here before, Trey Johnson. And he said this, he says this, if we could just get 1% better every day, we would have great, great, greater influence. If we could just get 1% better. And what does that look like? I mean, it looks like if, if, uh, if we maybe just read one chapter a day, or maybe we just kneel down and pray for, say, just five minutes every day. Or if uh, we just actually show up for work on time. Might even get a raise out of it. You never know. Um, 1% better. We eat a little better. We, we try to eat smarter. Uh, we watch our words. Our, our words, we, we, we want to... Uh, edify instead of be crit being critical. How many you just be honest? Being critical comes kind of natural to me. Anybody with me? I mean, it's just kind of a natural thing. I mean, I can just get, I can be, I know what won't work. I don't always know what will work, but I know what won't work. It's easy to be critical. I think it's more of the sin nature in us that causes us to be critical. I think from this influencing message today, I want to challenge everybody to embrace this process of change and not to be so critical of yourselves because Jesus accepted you when you accepted him. I got to come back to y'all. I said, Jesus, they hate it when I leave the lights. I said, Jesus accepted you when you accepted him. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. We're real good at beating ourselves up. Because I'll tell you this, I told my son, we had a, we were talking this past week. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize how far I have to go to get close to Jesus. And so we, we're all caught up in these days. Everybody's talking about the being. Oh, just be. Just be who you are. And you just be who you are. Let me tell you something. It's not just about the being. It is about the doing. 
Jesus took off his outer robes and he knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus saw something that needed to be doing and it changed our lives because we have that example of doing something. And if you're having a hard time being who God wants you to be, start doing something that he wants you to do. That's all I got to say about that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the challenge that you put inside of us. Jesus, I thank you that you are continuing to change the world one person at a time. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your grace and for your mercy and for your blessings, oh God. Even when I or we don't deserve your blessings, you are faithful. No matter who we are or what we do, you are faithful. And your love never fails. So help us, oh God, to love the way you love, to serve the way you serve, to forgive the way you forgive, to bless the way that you bless, to have compassion the way that you have compassion. Jesus, help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed your eyes closed for just a second. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, that's the first step in knowing Jesus. So if, if you've never accepted him, maybe if you haven't, you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, Preacher, I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I want you to raise your hand. We want to put a Bible in your hand. Anybody, Preacher, that's me. I want Jesus. I want this Jesus in my life. Slip, slip your hand up high. Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Anybody? Anybody? Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Being improving that one percent, sometimes it's finding one person to make that phone call to one person to make that connection to that that you know we used to sing a song lord lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me and may i ever do my part to win that soul for thee so I, my challenge to you before we leave is i'm going to i'm going to ask you to pray and ask God to lay one person on your heart and pray for them the best you can every day. Pray for them every day and reach out to them and just be a friend and help them to know Jesus better. And it's a big challenge. It's a big commitment. I've got four people in my life that I feel like God's laid on my heart right now. How many of you say, preacher, I'm willing to ask God to lay one person on my heart and I'm willing to follow through with his help. I'm going, I'll, I'm going to do the best I can. I want to do that. Raise your hand. It'll revolutionize our whole church and this whole world when we do this. Y'all know that, right? It's going to change this deal. We're going to have to have more church services. By the way, the 1130 is not full yet. If y'all feel like you could come. So let's all raise our hands to raise your hands because I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you'd help us, Lord, to, as we make this commitment to you, 
to uh, lay that one person on our heart and to follow through with that person. Help me, oh God, to be more faithful with the people you've laid on my heart. And may we be effective workers in your vineyard and not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. We thank you, Lord, for it. Bless your church, we pray in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, amen. amen. God bless y'all. We love you. We got our prayer team up here. If you need special prayer, we'd love to have you. God bless you.